This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. For the first time in my life, I felt suicidal ideation. And that was a scary feeling because I'm a mother. And it's also a humili- it's not humiliating, it's like shameful to think about suicidal ideation as a mother because I have so much to live for. to have my mental health shit on by a so-called mental health professional. (sighs) I am shaking right now. I am so fucking mad. This general, like, cultural backlash against, like, cancel culture being, like, so unfair to content creators is kind of disingenuous because the reality is that, first of all, no one ever really gets fully canceled. Okay. I have made certain commitments to myself to not say things publicly or even behave in real life in an activated manner. I want to honor my highest intelligence, my deepest intellect, my deepest propensity to be empathetic to people. But right now I'm just going to fucking be activated and shoot this because A lot of y'all are not getting it. And to see a mental health professional shit on something that has caused me suicidal ideation, which I hadn't admitted to myself until a couple days ago. (sighs) A lot of people have spoken about how cancel culture is terrible and awful and and everyone is losing their platforms left and right. Side note, you all want to say you care so much about Britney. You care so much about Amanda Bynes, Lindsay Lohan. You see how the public eye and public scrutiny can degrade people over time, completely destroy their mental health and well-being. And yet, as all of us, as normal human beings, non-actors, non-musicians, people without teams, people without millions of dollars, come on here to share our voices, we just are going to collectively decide, no, we're only applying that sort of empathy and compassion to celebrities. No, people like myself, like creators on TikTok, like up and coming sweet souls that have something to say will get hurt by this sort of culture if it is not brought into check. And by the way, I can see it hurting our liberal party because the way we are attacking each other in these spaces, people on our own team is driving people apart, driving people away crunching people into shame, which is what has happened to me. (sighs) Try to settle down so I can do this with my intellect, with my empathy. So I had some interesting reactions to this Mickey Atkins video because I wake up one day opening my Instagram after nine months of relentless abuse from complete strangers. Whenever I open my Instagram, my entire body tenses up, even though it's literally my workplace. I have built my life in that institution of Instagram, YouTube, and opening that door is is like literally opening myself up to fresh trauma 
traumas. I've told my friends that content creating in the midst of all this personal trauma has been like walking in the sun, already fully sunburnt, like with my skin coming off and just subjecting myself to the heat again and just hoping one day it'll heal, hoping one day it'll get better. So one morning I open on my Instagram and one of my audience members has slid in to say, you know, I used to like Mickey Atkins, but now I don't. I hate that she made this video. So that's not a quote, something like that. She changed her mind on Mickey Atkins because of this video. So already living in this embodied trauma of everything that I went through, my entire body seized up. I start shaking. I feel like I'm going to throw up because I am so nervous that yet another person is going to come on the internet to humiliate me, to say that I did things I didn't do, to say I said things that I didn't say, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I watched the video and when I got to the end of it, I, in that trauma body, in that frantic state, was like, oh my God, thank God she didn't bring up X, Y, or Z. She didn't say this other lie yet again. And I also commented, and I'm reading this comment, which is now making me feel wild because I thanked her for not doing that. I like, as a victim of internet abuse, which is what it is, I was just so grateful that she didn't go so super low that I was like, thank you. Thank you for not doing that. I really appreciate it. I also DM'd her and sent her this really nice message trying to be like, I appreciate that you didn't make assumptions about my cancellation or spread further rumors. And I also said it is dehumanizing, however, to pretend that creators are not living, breathing human beings. Again, these aren't exact quotes. I don't even feel like reading it. I could screenshot it for you if you care or want accountability. But point being, I was like, so grateful that she didn't go super low that that was my reaction. But the other day, the day after I watched that video, I ended up attending a podcast called Trust Me. And the night before I was lying in bed with Valentine by my side, and I had this email from the podcast team and they were like, what sort of aspects of cult do you want to talk about? Because it's a cult podcast. And I was thinking, well, Christianity, evangelicalism, obviously that's the cult that I escaped. But when I was laying in bed, I kind of stood up, <laughs> stood up, sat up and was like, no, shit. Cancellation is a cult. That is cult-like thinking, group mind thinking. It's abusive. It ostracizes you from the community. It brings threats. It brings fear. Like, Fear is at the root of every cult. So I go on this podcast. I'm preparing so much. I'm driving. I'm racked with nerves. I'm trying to figure out how to not get my friends hurt all over again because it wasn't just me that this happened to. And I go into the podcast thinking of all these things that I want to say and, you know, can I be polite anymore? Because this has been so much. And I was so honored by the hosts of that podcast. My friend Lola is one of the hosts and she had read articles about what happened to me and she tried to dissect what had happened and they had a full grasp of the situation. And they also, to my utter surprise and gratitude, offered me a dissertation written by Lola's mother. Her name is Dr. Christy Marie on Instagram, and she is passionate about cancel culture, how real it is, and what kind of effects it has on people. So Lola reads me a piece of her mother's dissertation, and she's like, these are the symptoms of cancel culture. And by the way, her mom is a therapist, and what she does is help 
other people recognize what happened to them within a cancellation. And she wants to train other therapists, hello Mickey, to understand the gravity and seriousness of this. The symptoms that she listed out were like paralyzing fear, fear of neighbor. I moved into a new place while I was getting canceled and I literally was scared of neighbors. I was walking my dog and I was like, hi, I am not someone who has social anxiety. I am a woman in her late thirties. I have been building up my confidence for years, but when this happened, I was suddenly scared of everything, scared of my own shadow. And I don't remember the full list, but it was like inability to work, inability to create, inability to like believe people love you or that you are a lovable person. And when she brought up the points of suicidal ideation and suicide, and I had listened to that whole list and I was in a room where my experience was being honored as reality because I've been listening for nine months to tons of people, including this therapist, say that it doesn't exist. No one ever really gets fully canceled. When she said suicidal ideation and suicide and I was in a safe space to acknowledge, wow, I'm really in a fucking deep trauma because of this. I was able to admit to myself for the first time that for the first time in my life, I felt suicidal ideation. And that was a scary feeling because I'm a mother. And it's also a humility. It's not humiliating. It's like shameful to think about suicidal ideation as a mother because I have so much to live for. I would die for my son and I would live for my son. Like that's a sacrifice you make for your child. But when I was thinking like I was watching news reports and someone would be like, so-and-so died. And I literally was like, they're so lucky. They're so lucky they get to leave this place. My son, I'm sure, is the only thing that helped me not cross over into attempt or into actually considering it as a possibility. Like I didn't see it as ideation because... I didn't actually, I knew that I couldn't do it. I knew that I wouldn't do it. So I had that safety net that like pushed me away from it. But if I think about the net, if I think that I didn't have my son as my net, I don't know. And that's why this is important to talk about too, because it's not just going to be me. I can tell you feel bad for me and you'll see Mickey poo poo it and be like, eh, and mock me this entire time, mock other people that have been through this. So unfair. But the fact of the matter is all of us now have phones in our hands. There are ordinary people going on TikTok, people who have survived deep traumas, teenagers who are figuring out who they are, gay people who are coming out for the first time, trans people who are transitioning and allowing people into that journey. If you don't give a shit about me and my mental health because you make excuses for it, which I'll talk about in a second, then you are being discompassionate and you're getting ready to dehumanize all of these people. Think about all of your beloved TikTok creators and why they showed up there. I showed up here and Mickey mocks me for this too, not wanting to come on YouTube. And you know what? I didn't want to come on YouTube because I like privacy. I love writing. I love sharing my words and my life with people because I know it helps people. It has so many times in the past and that's so important to me. But I sacrificed my own complete and utter lack of desire to be online, to be back on Instagram when I was mentally well, which Mickey mocks as well, so ironic from a therapist. 
I did that not because I'm a hero or I'm so amazing, but because I did know that my message was important. I did know it was worth risking mental health issues for myself, risking an addiction to Instagram, risking losing money or having people call me a whore. I always knew Christians, that section of the world, the conservative people of the world were going to shit on me and call me names. And I was armored up and ready for that. And what I never expected was for this other onslaught of hate. And I hadn't armored myself up for that. I had no education around what risk you actually take when you speak up online. And I'm talking again about ideation, suicide, mental health struggles, depression. And the reason I wasn't armored up for it is because no one is addressing it as a reality, including Mickey, including many therapists. And for the love of God, don't come for her. This is not about coming for her. This is about me sharing my own rage and my own experience. And Mickey is a good example of how people are not recognizing cancel culture as a true mental health thing. Long story short, YouTube became its own beast for me. Now I'm sitting in a place where I'm like, uh, I'm a YouTuber and a social Mickey. media person. FYI, right before I got on YouTube, I had been off of Instagram for nine months and I loved it. I loved never looking What's at Instagram. I felt <laughs> mentally well. I felt clear headed. I loved it. She's rolling her eyes about me being clear headed without the Instagram. I'm not labeling Blenda. I'm not labeling Brenda as a racist, but because there were murmurings around the situation about doing anti-racism work, I wanted to address that on an interpersonal or like a, an individual level. <laughs> okay. First, I want to just bring up how easily Mickey will say, I don't want to label Brenda as a racist. Like, I don't know a lot about it, so I'm not going to call her that. You still put that term in your video. You still invited everyone. And I read through the comments to be like, well, da -na 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 -na. piecing together my cancellation and what happened reminds me of that video of Charlie and Always Sunny in Philadelphia. When I read a blog about it, when I hear a commentary, when I read a comment, it looks like that to me. Like I can't even track it because at the end of the day, I've already taken accountability for what happened, for what I did. I wrote a post called Love Letter and I addressed everything that was real. If you hear anything outside of that, then it is a she said, she said, maybe I'm lying, maybe someone else is lying. But I'm telling you that I cannot make amends for my cancellation any further because I already took accountability for everything in my mind that I actually did wrong. And I'm already planning on making a video called White Girls Gone Wild about the white Karens of cancel culture because those are the people that affected me. When I tell my friends, my BIPOC friends, my family members about what happened to me, my mom, for example, is like, well, what, what were these black women saying? And I I kept saying, mom, <laughs> it's not from black women. It, it's primarily white women. And that's not just an accusation. You can statistically look that up and see it. But again, I'm in a hurry. I can do a future video about the Karens of social justice and cancel culture. But the point I'm making is that I am a person who has always deeply cherished accountability. During my cancellation, 
not even that I want to even have to explain this anymore because this whole thing has been so degrading, but everything that I did was to work to seeing how I can make reparations to people, how I can come to the table and find out things that I did wrong. I have had hilarious conversations with BIPOC friends about the most embarrassing things I have done as a dumb white girl, as an ignorant white girl. And we have laughed together over dinners about it. Like, Real life, social justice, anti-racism work looks like love. It looks like compassion. It looks like sitting at a table with a bunch of people and duking it out and really coming to a literal table. This is completely different than what we're experiencing online. But because my work is online, I felt I had to. Also, I'm a single mother, so I did logistically have to keep showing up and keep subjecting myself to potential abuse. And by the way, I just want to so deeply thank anyone and everyone out there who handled this with compassion for the online friends in my real life who DM'd me to say, I'm sorry, I don't know why this is happening. I don't feel comfortable publicly saying that I support you. And in response to that, I say, of course, I'm so glad you didn't throw yourselves into this lion's den with me. I don't want other people to get hurt and to feel what I felt and go through what I've gone through. But I just appreciated when they said, I'm not gonna participate in your pile on and that will be my show of solidarity to which their audience says, your silence is deafening without knowing anything about behind the scenes. On the contrary, I had friends who didn't even have the grace or compassion or remote love to reach out to me to ask me any questions about what actually happened or what I was going through and instead just posted for accountability's sake. Again, we'll get into the white Karens another week, not what this video is about. But as soon as I got on YouTube, I recognized it as the tool that it is, a tool to reach people, a tool to let people know what I was doing. So I tried Okay, I know why she's making that smirk about the tool because later on she's gonna say, if you see Instagram or if you see social media as a tool, then you're not really about that life because this isn't a tool, this is a community. Brenda spoke about this in the beginning of the video of like viewing YouTube and the platform as like a tool or disseminating information. The platform that's populated by millions of people isn't a tool, it's a community. There are real people who are here. And so it's not a tool for you to use for your own gain or benefit. It's a community and a culture that exists that ideally is going to be mutually beneficial for content creators and consumers alike. Um, I just think it's really dumb that someone who themselves is on the internet, I'm sure to also make a living, at least get some additional income from it, would say that this is not some sort of exchange of money for work. If you want to question my heart and intentions, fine. I literally told you that I didn't want to be on Instagram or YouTube because I'm not about this sort of attention. I'm about to show you my earnings so you know I wasn't in it for the money. I have been in it for this community. I called it the God is Great community because I saw it as such. And you know the only thing that's made me question that is my own community turning on me because of bullshit that they can hardly even articulate or make sense of. I have, and a fellow content creator should know, worked so many hours for so little pay. And 
I mean, I'm gonna show you my stuff right now just for transparency. And these are the kind of things you hide as a content creator because of this old adage of like, to be successful, you have to project success. I love that TikTok is changing that, that so many people are just like, hey, this is me, this is my real life. It's freeing us all to show you what it actually is. And it's also terrible because it's kind of like porn. It's like there's this idea that everyone's going to get successful on OnlyFans or doing porn. But in reality, there's a small section of people that make 90% of the money. I don't know the statistics, but hell of a lot of money. I know YouTubers who bought houses. I know TikTokers who are buying houses. But the rest of us, the bottom 1% or whoever, are not making ends meet, are not being able to figure out how to properly monetize this to make it our lives, while at the same time feeling such a weight and passion about our audiences. So many of us stay here and do this because we love you. Mickey says in here, well, she cashes a paycheck. It's not a God-given right to just get on the internet and fucking flap your lips once a week and collect a paycheck. I'll show you the paychecks. I don't know if I've done that yet. Here's the paychecks that I've been cashing. And if she's on YouTube, I'm like, are you making money on YouTube? Did you buy a house? Are you having millions? Because teach me, Mickey, my God. So I made this month $267.80. I can't even calculate how many hours of work. I literally work every waking hour that I have where I'm not with my son. My total earnings in almost five years of YouTube, total earnings, $24,467. Let's do the math on that really quick. And let's be liberal about it because it's been more like five years, but I took six months off. So let's do four years. That amount divided by four is $6,366.95 per year. Just to give you an idea of how wealthy I am and how much that's helping, my rent is $2,300 a month. The only thing that has helped me survive is linking up with a production team, which I may lose, and the Patreon, like people that have supported me so much. The thing about this that's significant to me from my perspective as a clinician, like if someone were to mention these things to me in session, to me, like I'm hearing a lot of negative feedback about YouTube and about content creation, about being an internet creator, which is all fair, all valid. Like I get it. Those are all like perfectly valid and morally neutral emotions to have. However, this is a common pattern that happens in relationships where we subject ourselves to situations and interactions, to behavior patterns that we don't feel great about that aren't serving our best purpose or aren't the thing that we would have chosen freely because there is this feeling of obligation. And I'm wondering if Brenda viewed her relationship with her audience and her platform on YouTube in this way, where she was practicing this effort of like trying to disseminate what she perceived to be like very necessary information about progressive Christianity, even though she apparently didn't want to be on the internet, she was kind of like being a martyr and like just really doing a good deed to her own detriment. And now people have in, in her mind, I guess, like have the gall to turn her, turn their back on her. Mickey has a lot of audacity saying this, considering that she has an obsession with evangelical Christianity and educating people about the mental health aspects of evangelicalism, what it does to people. I respected Mickey before I watch this video, because that is my work. We share in that work. That has been entirely my intention 
from the inception of this channel. Not only that, but I always wanted this channel to be diverse. Like <sighs> the worst part about being called racist is that I know how diverse my audience is. And I know how many people that this message has helped. This message could have been given by many people. It is being given by many different people, but it is an important message. And from the very beginning, whether or not you believe me, when I was pulling images, cause I used to put a lot of like Pinterest images in my tic or TikToks, in my YouTube videos, I made sure that they were diverse, that they showed diverse body types and diverse faces and diverse experiences because I wanted people to know that everyone was included in this message, that no one was excluded. I noticed that all the evangelical voices were whites, or at least the ones that were like on the forefront. There was definitely a bit of diversity, but the white evangelical church is predominantly white. So the white ex-evangelical community, of course, is going to mirror that, although there is still plenty of diversity in both. There is plenty of diversity in the people that need to hear these messages and need to heal. Content creators are not entitled to a platform. Um, there's a lot of privilege that comes along with being a content creator. And I think like the word privilege here is very important because it is a privilege to have a platform. And if we as content creators are not going to be held accountable or like be willing to deal with the good and the bad that comes along with content creation and eventually position ourselves as like unsafe people or we say or do something that's fucked up, we're not willing to make amends for the way that we've fucked up, then your ability to make a living off of making content on the internet may very well go away which i think is the way that it fucking should be okay this whole thing that she goes into about not all of us have the privilege or we deserve to have platforms because we have to be above bar first of all look how famous and problematic the kardashians are i've been mad at them ever since they wore fur to a kanye concert and then i was in paris fashion week and i saw every window covered in fur this family is so socially environmentally irresponsible it drives me insane and I'm not even a hater like I don't have energy to hate but please we love platforming actually problematic people when I see the way that I could come up on YouTube is to just start shitting on people being mean cruel antagonistic that's why conservatives are so successful their little snarky snarty voices the way they talk down to everybody the way they diminish human rights and make jokes about things it's disgusting if I wanted to be Ben Shapiro Tommy Laren Matt Walsh these innumerable conservative people I could do that. I know exactly how to do it. It is clear through viewership, through audience accountability, that actually, statistically, people don't want to hear about love. They'll watch kitten videos. That's maybe the closest it comes. But in reality, my content that is about social justice, that is about anti-racism, that is about humanity and propelling people forward does not do as well as my clapbacks and my responses and my making assumptions about other people's lives. I don't want to make that kind of content anymore because it stopped resonating with me. I wouldn't put a value on it. Is it right? Is it wrong? I participated in it plenty. But if I truly wanted to succeed and make a lot of money right now, I know how to do it. Unfortunately, 
unfortunately. I can't compromise myself in that way. I refuse to do it. So here I am. I'm going to have to run in a second. So I'm just going to keep powering through this. If you notice, Brenda still has 139,000 subscribers. Brenda is still regularly making content. Um, I don't doubt that Brenda has been emotionally and financially impacted by this. I think you do as you roll your eyes and as you put cancel culture in quotations. But the assertion that like, someone's platform can be well and truly wrenched out of their hands and completely removed from the internet. That's a fallacy. People do this all the time when they get canceled on the internet. It's like, ooh, woe is me. I love that Mickey says this. Well, I think shortly after or before, talks about Jenna Marbles. Where's Jenna Marbles? Where is she? Like, I obviously am a Jenna Marbles fangirl. <laughs> Jenna Marbles did this repeatedly where she talked about how she made content on the internet because she wanted people to have a space that was fun and easy and entertaining and just like safe to be who they were. So she made fun and easy and funny content. And when she fucked it up or she did something that was hurtful, she apologized. It wasn't always like the most eloquent or perfect apology, but she did make the effort to genuinely on a human level, humble, humble herself to understand why her audience was speaking to her the way that they were. She goes in this whole thing about how Jenna Marbles is a hero and she did great work taking true accountability for what she was being called out for. And her platform is gone because she was so humiliated in the process of her cancellation. I don't know where she's at right now. I don't know where her mental health is, but where is she? And then you have the audacity to say cancellation doesn't exist. Okay. One of the main takeaways from Mickey's video that I really have is that it is irresponsible to continue dehumanizing people that are human beings. I live in Hollywood, so I happen to know that Movie stars, rock stars are flesh and blood human beings and they have emotions. If you want to say, fuck them, they don't matter because they have millions. I don't know. You should check that. I don't think that makes you a very socially responsible, kind-hearted, loved-based person. It's not my place to judge you, but damn, really, is that what you think? I really have to go. I'm running late. But the last thing I want to say is that I love this community so much. I was out the other day and a 17 year old man approached me and said that the content I put out had helped him realize that he's okay to be who he is in his sexuality, in his body, in his view of the world, and that he had previously been suffering suicidal ideation. I came on here and I stayed on here for people like him. And I want to stay on here and I want to keep speaking because I know there are so many of you out there who do struggle with so many different things. Cancellation is not relatable to a lot of people. This sort of humiliation is not relatable to a lot of people, but I know all of you have been humiliated and all of you have been alienated from groups and people that love you. And it does hurt me that People question my character and that my character has been defamed in many ways. But the real point that I have to take away from all of this is that I still do love all of you so much. Even if this channel has to stop, even if I have to pivot and turn away, <clears throat> it's all been worth it. Like just that one man approaching me, like it's all been worth it. I would do it all over again. And I do it all over again a million times because of how much I love you all and how much I want all of you to heal. So whether or not I'm here, 
I hope that you will continue to heal. I hope you will stop, or if you never have, you will continue to not minimize other people's traumas and mental health breakdowns and keep raising your mental health awareness. And if you're a therapist, keep raising your mental health awareness because the more we continue to dehumanize each other in a moment in time where we need each other so badly, women, 50% of us have lost our God-given autonomy. There are still men being murdered by police every day, families being tormented by police every day. We have larger fish to fry than figuring out whether or not I'm who I say I am or whether or not I'm full of shit. What a waste of time. You can have that opinion. You can comment that opinion. I'm working on my own mental health to be able to withstand those comments and to keep going. But at the end of the day, focus. If you want to be anti-racist, focus. If you want to make a difference in this world, focus. If you believe that you were made for love and that you deserve love, then love other. Practice. Practice treating your avatar as well. If I'm just an avatar to you, practice treating me well. Practice treating people on TikTok well. All of those people represent someone's lover, someone's son or daughter, someone's friend. And they deserve your compassion. That energy that you export, if it's judgment and rage and hate, it's going to boomerang right back to you and you're going to hurt someone else in the process. And that could be someone who is a very vulnerable person. And I do worry because I was fortified and I was strong. Like Mickey pointed out, I took off nine months of Instagram and I truly believe from a spiritual framework that that was a divine, like, I don't know what the word is. It felt in like retrospect, amazing that I had taken that time off because I felt it fortified me. It reminded me of what life looks like off the internet. And I was able to stand in that strength for years until this thing happened to me. So I worry about the people who don't have that sort of fortitude, who don't have the support system I have, who are already in vulnerable homes and vulnerable communities with vulnerable people around them. Like, Treat each other better. You don't have to treat me better. It's not about me anymore. Treat each other better. God, now I have five minutes to get to an appointment that's 15 minutes away. I love you all so much. God bless.